0: I think i I, think I know how to start this one. Oh, are we going all right what up everyone <laughs> uh, good start uh welcome back to the levers podcast episode 21 with your awesome host tige little perp and shake um uh, i think we'll just start with maybe a quote that uh somebody uh once said which at overhearing cosmoasm Polygon, ZK, SBF, The Merge, all across Williamsburg, espresso Holes. 17th century, Enlightenment in the London coffee shops. 20th century, Silicon Revolution in the SF coffee shops. 21st century, Crypto Revolution in the New York City coffee shop. If, if any of our listeners can figure out who tweeted that, you can uh, you can come Kissinger. on the podcast. Kissinger, it was Henry Kissinger. <laughs> it, it, it might have been Henry Kissinger. I mean the the. the I did uh, not follow that at all, bro. The intellectual.
1: <laughs> That's what we were just talking it. about. You lost me about <laughs> ten words into that. Whatever that was.
0: <laughs> um, so we got Tej, the most intellectual man on the cast. We got little Perp. He uh, literally sent me a tweet earlier t- or uh, Instagram earlier today of him holding a water bottle with a tank top in the elevator right on brand. And we got Shake, who I will say, I think Shake is entering a flow state recently. He uh, he he comes in and out of them, but I would definitely check out his Twitters at 0xShake because the man is firing on all cylinders right now. And it's, it's best to catch him um we we got a good episode today we're gonna start it off with tj who um has been building up to a momentous series of threads and wrote a banger earlier today tj bitcoin what are we talking about yeah let me pull up this thread real quick (laughs) um
2: yeah so i don't know so i've been thinking about bitcoin quite a bit lately i feel like i go through waves maybe we all do where you know, at the beginning, we we're all kind of orange pilled, like you learn about Bitcoin, it's, you know, the biggest, most liquid. Um, it kind of dictates where the market goes, you get orange pilled, and then you go kind of deeper into the weeds. And as I got deeper in the weeds, like I sort of started to forget about Bitcoin and started to learn about Ethereum and other L1s and just like all the interesting entrepreneurship that's being built. And I think once you, once you get into the entrepreneurship, like you kind of forget about Bitcoin or I think you forget about it for two reasons. One is it's just like it's big and it exists and it's just there, right? And it works. And the other thing I think is as you start to like dig into the innovative side of crypto where people are building things, you're kind of like, oh, like Bitcoin's just like this like ossified, you know, base layer that doesn't really do anything. But anyway, from time to time, I start to think about it more. Um, mainly when like the price is low, right? It forces you to kind of Reevaluate your models to make sure that you still understand why this thing has value, if it has any value. Um, and also at, at, at Maker, I'm looking at a number of opportunities to fund hash power-backed loans right now. So basically um, underwrite um, senior warehouse lines to Bitcoin miners, right? Which is risky as shit. Um, it's, it, it takes kind of the risk of, of Bitcoin and gives you none of the upside. So you issue debt to these guys you allow them to finance new ASICs, new land, new whatever, to hopefully make their um, operation more efficient. But if they default, then you're kind of screwed and you got no BTC upside. So anyway, I've been thinking about Bitcoin quite a bit. Um, And it kind of occurred to me that, um, you know, Bitcoin is sort of a, if it works, and I think it will, I think probability is that Bitcoin stays around, it continues to accrue value, um, and it sort of pulls energy away from our existing systems, but it's kind of like a multi-decade peaceful revolution. Um, and I think kind of the reason for that is it sort of attacks gently um, the existing system. in I think three ways, like one is money. That's kind of obvious, right? Like, especially right now, you look around the world uh, inflation is everywhere. Like no one's immune. Uh, it's in Japan, it's in Europe, it's here. Of course, it's emerging nation em- emerging markets. Um, And as people start to like, as, as their lives become more difficult to live, they look at this like alternative system where no one can control it and print a whole bunch of money and it's a nice escape. So that's the money escape. Then on the energy side, right? Like particularly right now, um, you know, we're, we're trying to make this move away from fossil fuels happen. And it's mainly been done. Like you have these ESG policies that like the U S and Europe are trying to push through, but it's kind of like, there's no reason for people to, Follow those policies. They've just been presci- prescribed for everyone, right? But now that oil is at $100 a barrel because of a whole bunch of dumb policies, um, you know, these BTC miners, what they do is they, they're just trying to be capitalists. They're just trying to get the cheapest energy possible um, and be able to predictably run their business, which is mine Bitcoins. And so what you see, which is really interesting is they're like, well, if oil and, and fossil fuels are continuing to do these crazy spikes because of these dumbass policies, I need to find a source of energy for me and my business that works for 10, 15 years and it can't be corrupted. And so you see like a lot of these guys going to like stranded hydropower and geothermal and various areas and locking down those energy sources for 10, 15 years, which is sort of a energy revolution. So you got a money revolution, energy revolution. Um, And then I stole this completely from Bology, but you really have a revolution in politics too, right? Um, You know, people are increasingly growing like a little bit disillusioned with the state. You've never really had the ability to opt out right you have to get your move your family it's just you can' you can sort of move your vote with your feet but it's very difficult to do so and so you're just kind of just trapped with these policies well you could sort of um, take this reprieve in kind of the network state um, with like a Bitcoin as kind of the money and as soon as many people do that and they sort of, identify more with these networks, these crypto networks than they do with the political state. I think what you'll see, which will be awesome, is all these political states will be competing to be open and friendly to these networks. So money's changing, energy's changing, and, and I think politics are changing. And they're all changing without violence and war and horrible shit. It just happens over time. Energy sort of moves from the existing systems to you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum system. So, you know, that was uh, sort, sort of a rant. I'm not sure the thread was all that much clearer, honestly. It was pretty stream of consciousness. But, uh, but yeah, that's what I was thinking about today.
3: So basically, like, you think there's these various tailwinds that point to more adoption of Bitcoin. So as the inflation hedge, that's like the digital gold. For energy, I guess you didn't maybe just talk about it, but the reason why, like, Bitcoin is a consistent use of energy and so as people go to these more I guess volatile uh, energy sources they can use bitcoin as a way to harvest like the unpredictable surges of energy and then politics people might want to opt out of the kind of top-down institutions as well and you see because of that more and more people are going to keep wanting to hold bitcoin even though it's boring and you can't do anything with it pretty much.
0: I mean, that's what's so what it what is like the timeline for something like that to play out?
2: I mean, look, I think the timeline is very much um, or should say the speed is variable. So when stuff is all good, right, the dollar is inflating at one percent a year and the political system generally works, let's say, like during like an Obama era era to look back, right? (laughs) Like the Obama era seems like uh you know, a a time of great prosperity and peace compared to what we're dealing with lately. But when stuff is good, you know, BTC as a system, it doesn't quite accrue as much energy. And then I think when things come to a head, like kind of where they are now um, with war and, um, you know, uh, weakness in emerging markets and oil back above $100 a barrel, I think these are times where that system accrues a lot more legitimacy and energy and so all of a sudden where you had very slow sort of gain of legitimacy then you have this stepwise function um but i don't know i mean no no one knows but my gut says this is a you know a multi-decade sort of thing where generally the you know the rate of um the rate of change increases so at the beginning it's a very very gradual right it's 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 largely like a revolution for ideologues or like people that are super libertarian and then as the adoption curve goes it 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 breaches into the mainstream and i think things just kind of set off from there which is why i think like I, I sort of said the the war has already been won because i feel like inertia is in in btc's favor um but you know i wouldn't be surprised if this next kind of uh period of economic and political turbulence wasn't the one to really um, make, you know, BTC's place in the world concrete. I guess... Oh, Go ahead, Lucas.
0: I, I was going to say, I feel like it's interesting because... So is there ever a moment then ap- along like the path of BTC adoption where it moves from like a bottom-up type of movement to like a top-down one? Or is it only once it's reached kind of critical adoption that then it becomes more of a top-down adoption type of thing where governments government and large institutions are like kind of using it. And so that leads to, you know, just r- normal retail users using it.
2: So, so I guess here what you mean by top down is um, it has adoption at the corporate and public sector yeah. levels? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I mean, it. I think it makes more sense um for corporations to 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 be open to it before states at least if the states still have the ability the sovereign ability to issue their own currency and if you're dollarized already it's a little bit different right because you're basically already betrothed to someone else's shitty monetary policy and so if the fed is doing things that you don't want it to do historically you haven't really had an alternative because usually If you're pegged to the dollar, say you're emerging market currency, like, um, I don't know, the Egyptian pound. I don't know if that's even pegged to the dollar, but usually pegged to the dollar because you're not strong enough to float your own currency. But now if you're pegged to the dollar and you want sort of an escape, maybe in that scenario you would adopt BTC. Um, But still then, I, I see it as very much the way it enters kind of the institutional avenues, whether that's public or private sector, is mainly is first through like opportunistic capital allocators like hedge funds and sovereign wealth funds. Even that's probably where it starts for for the states. They're like, well, you know, if, if I'm the Saudi Arabian sovereign wealth fund or um, or uh, Norges Bank, the Norwegian sovereign wealth fund, you know, and you're pulling oil out of the ground, like, you know, like that era is coming to a close at some point. And the question is, like, how do you maintain your purchasing power going forward? I think in that scenario, BTC might be be useful. but I think it's mainly emergent from from the retail level, and it would be a while um, before it's top down.
3: I mean, so, like, for the top down piece, I think we're also going to talk about stable coins and why everyone wants to have their own stable coin. Just like every crypto project wants to have its own stable coin, a government wants its own fiat currency because then it can basically, in the short term, create value. So, for like top down institutions to accept Bitcoin, it's kind of an acknowledgement that they're giving up some level of power. So, I think to the extent institutions support Bitcoin, is because they feel like they have to, to earn like the curry the favor of, uh, I guess, their um, beneficiaries or users, but,
1: yeah. uh, yeah. Wait, so I, you're, uh, say, you're saying that yeah. the institutions don't buy it to be some type of like alternative currency or store value. They, that's not the reason they buy it.
3: No, I mean, they would like, I guess no one's going to start using BTC as their sole, um, like currency because they want to be able to mint their own currency. Right. And even like moving from the dollar to Bitcoin, I guess, as what backs their currency, it's an upgrade because they won't get, I guess, in some ways it could be an upgrade because they won't have to deal with like the American dollar debasing. But all else equal, like countries will want to have like their own fiat currency that they can control. And I guess the only reason why a government doesn't use their own fiat currency is because no one else, there's not enough demand for it. So then they're forced to peg it to something and they usually peg it to the dollar because the dollar has the most liquidity right um so for people like no one's ever just going to accept no government's going to be like we only accept bitcoin as our currency because it would just make doing debt really hard um and even it'll probably be a long time before they use bitcoin instead of usd why are you laughing lucas yes Shake yeah, you know started I, walking
1: <laughs> slow state baby slow state. <laughs>
3: This is how you get great tweets. Just, Partly, just, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's the secret. Because people do their best before seven a.m. You know, <laughs> walks, pop smoke, playing full blast. You know, that's the secret right there. That's
3: the thing. Most people do their best thinking while walking, but then they do their typing while sitting. So you've kind of reached this unique state where you could be just in the flow, thinking and shit posting at the same time. It's really a comparative advantage.
1: You nailed it, bro. Dude, That's that it. is so. And real I and real. I actually go back and forth. Like, I, so I'll stop it when I'm like making a meme or something or t- typing, and then I go back to walking. I try to go back. It's actually pretty hard to like do anything that requires accuracy while walking because <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of stuff in Photoshop, and it's like impossible. So you and
3: don't like, you're not worried about like the accuracy accuracy of your statements <laughs> while you're talking to the listeners? Not at all. Not at all.
1: Not at what's all. the it shows uh, by my growth, you know?
2: What's what's the pace we're on right now, Shake? Is are we like <laughs> one one mile per hour? Do <laughs> I, wonder, at, I don't as know what he, it is. Does he, seven. As he turns up the treadmill, is does the brain does the brain run more quickly, or well, yeah, or is but he then turn-
1: get out of breath like really fast, you know? Dude, <laughs> by the end of this show, I hope
0: you're running, bro. <laughs> He's
3: gonna be huffing and puffing. Is um. um Oh, sorry. Okay. Go
0: yeah. Go ahead if you want, Shake. No, dude.
3: I, I'm curious, Lucas. Shake as like the resident NFT goblins, and uh, yeah, NFT goblins. Like, what are what are your thoughts on Bitcoin,
2: dude? I mean, even, even do you even think about it?
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, does it even exist? <laughs> I I this is something I find actually really interesting because I don't really. I mean, I just hold it. Um, just because when I was first learning about crypto, that's normally what you first learn about is Bitcoin. Um, But like, I don't think about it at all. I just assume if crypto is going to work, Bitcoin is going to work. And so, I mean, maybe it won't, but it's like it's ignorant to not have it as part of your portfolio right now. You know, Um, but I I think you're like, if you're getting at the idea that a lot of like, it's, it's pretty irrelevant for a growing part of the crypto space. I think it would be interesting to look at statistics because, I do think, especially in the Solana NFT space, like that's one of those products or one of those sectors where a lot of people who are onboarded, um, like they don't have, they don't even know that they're using the blockchain sometimes. You know, like, I mean, obviously no, but like their not, their depth of knowledge is so low and they were onboarded directly into Solana NFTs. And so as a result, like they don't really think about Bitcoin that much. It's only probably after you've spent some time in the space and maybe like price action on NFTs aren't that good that you start looking at, bitcoin and other coins and exploring it but yeah i do think it's interesting to watch like the reverse people do the reverse whereas before everyone went bitcoin ethereum then into alts it's like in solana nfts i think there are a lot of people who go Solana nfts and then they don't even look at ethereum because they become maxis you know and then they think about bitcoin so it, it, it is interesting do you think if
2: you told those people that if btc died everything else would die how, how would they respond to that would they believe you or would they be like oh no that's that's idi- that's idiotic Solana is a different blockchain why would why would btc matter like how do people think about that do they think about it as like a bedrock or an alternative
0: that's a good i don't know shake what do you think i mean shakes the mega influencer so he's talking to the people oh, dude, you know yeah. he's the man <laughs> of the people yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: stop it
0: no um i was just reminded of
1: that that meme of like if okay bears fails Solana fails <laughs> 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 like if Bitcoin fails Solana fails. um but uh yeah I don't know it's hard to say I don't you know it's hard because yeah it's hard to know what other people think about that specifically because I don't really like we just don't really talk about it we don't really talk about Bitcoin ever um but my view of Bitcoin personally has changed a lot like because like you guys said like when you come in you know, you, you listen to the Maxis, the Bitcoin podcast. and You're like, oh, my God, this is a new paradigm, blah, blah, blah. Kind of drink the Kool-Aid. The more that I've, like, just tried to look at it somewhat objectively, it just, it, like, it's one of those cases where, like, the, you know, the market's never wrong. And it just trades like a levered, like, NASDAQ future, you know. Um, and so it just trades like a super speculative risky asset. And then the rest of the crypto market's highly correlated with Bitcoin which is highly correlated with the nasdaq so i i just don't i don't know like right now um i don't really buy into the bitcoin bull case but that could change you know um so i'm i'm, I'm i hope that that changes like i guess i hope that i'm proved wrong right now I'm, I'm personally like kind of bearish on bitcoin because the more that crypto gets adopted people learn about shit coins and then they learn like wait bro you guys held bitcoin for a 2x but these guys are making 100x on their Ponzi schemes. Like, why? Why am I going to hold Bitcoin, right? Or, or hey, these guys made you know 10x on Solana. Like, it's not even complete low cap shitcoin. So, um, the more that it gets adopted and it gets awareness, the more people learn about there's other things. So, why are they just going to buy and hold Bitcoin uh, as a speculative asset? I don't know. But again, I hope it changes. Like, kind of interesting anecdote is. I was with a couple guys who went to congress to um lobby for crypto for like the solana foundation and they said they talked to a congressman i forget who it is he's pro crypto guy but he said he this is i forget the congressman i wish i remembered his name but he was like dude i think crypto is gonna save our currency you know which i thought was pretty cool like he like that was was his exact words he was like he was like i want to make sure that this shit gets taken seriously and like the way it exists right now from the outside, a lot of people don't think it's serious. And so he was basically telling these guys like as ambassadors of Solana and crypto, you're being watched. And like, you know, just, just remember that, like, remember to like, you don't have to fucking wear a suit and tie everywhere you go, but a lot of the things we do as a crypto community and culture, if you think about it from the outside, it's like pretty, um, it it, it seems not serious we call everything a scam a ponzi like we throw around the word ponzi a lot we throw around the word rug pull a lot um you know it's like we talk we just talk like degenerates like we like we talk like we're gambling and and a lot of people are just gambling and so from the outside what does it look like it looks like we're just gambling right and if we wanted to be taken more seriously which is like funny because out of all of us i'm like the last guy should be saying this right because like i'm the (laughs) one who's like doing this shit but if you want to be taken more seriously like some of us have to be kind of serious, you know? And like, so, um, I just am hopeful over the next five to 10 years, like that, this narrative changes and that Bitcoin stops, uh, it, 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 that it as a price wise, it becomes more like something like gold than it does like a levered, you know, NASDAQ index.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I think, um, I do think the only, like, the 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 only thing that I have seen which does, I think, reinforce— and this is mostly from a trader's perspective, and, like, you know, to anyone who's not who's listening who's not in Salon NFTs, Salon NFTs, is, it's mostly just trading. And um, I think what is convincing for people is when you see Bitcoin nuke, like, getting to your question, TJ, and then you see the rest of the market nuke. And, like, I remember when I was first getting into crypto, everyone would always be like, Traders mostly would be like, Bitcoin is king, you know, like you have to respect Bitcoin if you want to trade the market. And it's it still kind of holds that status. It's like even today, right now, like Ethereum could go way up, in my opinion, and Bitcoin could stay flat. But if Bitcoin started to dip, Ethereum would suffer a lot more. And so I, I do think that's like the most... Compelling thing for new entrants who aren't coming in the Bitcoin, Ethereum, altcoin, and are instead going the reverse reverse way to kind of realize, even if they don't understand the fundamental value proposition, but just like the value proposition as a trader.
3: I I have a question. When you're just like okay, you're talking like people get into crypto and they see like how volatile products are on a super short time frame, right? Like you got to get out of NFTs really quickly or L1s really quickly because. They'll go up and they go down super fast. Like, are you basically is the typical profile? They just hop into stables and into something super volatile and then back into stables constantly. Because the one of the bull cases for Bitcoin is that basically everything besides Bitcoin is still more of a VC bet, right? Like ETH could honestly still not be relevant in like a couple years, right? Soul <laughs> could obviously not be relevant. Oh, I'm serious. There's a high chance know, ETH know, is I irrelevant. Soul could be irrelevant, like. But you're like, well, BTC will just get wrapped onto any chain, so I'm comfortable holding that, right? But sounds like more your profile is like they're just holding USDC and then they're just like bridging USDC
1: to whatever chain that they're on. Next. Actually, in Solana, they do they think in SOL, which is yeah. so crazy to me because it was close to $300 and now it's like $40. But um, yeah, they think in Seoul. But yeah, I think that's a good point, and a lot of kind of like of the previous cycles uh veterans like i know anecdotally a lot of them trade and denominate in bitcoin or in eth um and so there is i think there's a case we made for that and the other point is we've talked about this on a previous podcast like what's a what are these what are the scenarios where where bitcoin uh could get flipped and um chris said something to me where you're like part of me is like put my money in things that i like philosophically believe in like even if it doesn't mean i'm going to get like cause chris is involved in this shit he knows that like he'll probably get a much better return on sold than bitcoin but it's kind of like okay you know you, you you have to forego maybe there there's other reasons to invest in something than just purely like roi uh for some people and i think i think that's a good point like uh to make well, well, I,
2: well it's, hmm. it's also i think on on that piece like um I, my guess is the reason that someone hold or crisp holds BTC is not uh, because there's a philosophy. uh, There's philosophy with a lack of upside. My guess is it's like, as someone who has a variety of options, really like a universe of options of investing in various coins, like you want to hold something that you understand and fundamentally believe in, like, obviously, the further out in the risk curve you go, there's, you know, 100 baggers waiting for you. And who knows what BTC is? It's not an 100 bagger. Maybe it is. but It's unlikely. It's less likely to be a 100 bagger than a shitcoin. But, like, if you spend a bunch of time with BTC, you can get comfortable around its fundamental and unique value proposition to the world and in the incremental holder, which is, I think, why a lot of people are comfortable holding it. And especially... When confidence evaporates from the market, why why you have bag holders who will refuse to sell? They look at a whole bunch of simulations of the world, and in a lot of them, BTC accrues a lot of value. And I think that's kind of why that's why it it has the role that it does, and nothing else acts like BTC. Right? It's it's inertness and it's um, how unchangeable it is is kind of unique to it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll just say I th- I think the game theory is that people will always or not always, but most likely hold BTC where like you're basically saying like in the argument for why ETH would flip BTC is that basically the people on ETH will denominate an ETH because it'll, you know, be what everyone thinks in. But I think fundamentally, like all these layer one chains are still like they're like uh, startup nations or countries, you know, like. I don't have confidence in which one's gonna make it. Like, obviously, I like building on Soul, and I am like, I think I can build cool things there. But I'm not like, oh, this is a hundred percent gonna make it, right? And so then, there's I feel like the game theory of crypto is like, if crypto make it makes it, people will probably hold BTC in the
2: future. Well, also um, I think that's I think a really the, good point. I think like, there's the I know. think there's the reverse too. Sorry, shake I'll, I'll, I'll let you go in a second. But just as um, if crypto makes it in the long run, BTC will accrue value. I think unless BTC succeeds, or I should say if BTC dies in the short term, it means very bad things for crypto in the short term.
1: Yeah. I So I guess I misquoted you, Chris, because what you're saying is basically like it's pretty safe to assume that Bitcoin can be this proxy for blockchain assets, for digital assets, like as a whole.
3: Yeah, I think so. At least if it's not like as long as it's not like fiat
1: digital currencies. Yeah. Like, like just people because. Will just buy, enough people will buy Bitcoin so that like it it doesn't go to zero. And basically and like because they're trying to get exposure to this huge asset class that includes NFTs and Metaverse and mm-hmm. DeFi and all these things. But they just buy Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, I think if like
3: if you were so confident in L1, like you knew that all of DeFi was going to run on its and its pipes that would be like super bearish for bitcoin but like i don't think any no layer 1 is like so good that you could be like everything's running on there right like you can't really build that much on eth l1 you're waiting for the l2s to come solana still needs to prove itself like all these things need to be proven out right so it's not like you can just say what's going to flip btc and so that that's i guess why the game theory comes in there um, is there
1: is there a comparable in equities there's not right to bitcoin like where you could say oh i'm betting on like tech and i'm gonna buy this one mm-hmm. asset that is gonna have a worse return but it's a good proxy for
2: for tech or internet
1: like stuff
2: i mean i think it, i think in a sense the uh, the analogy or maybe not the analogy but how you describe bitcoin as like a indexed bet on crypto like is right in some ways but it also feel like feels like describing Ethereum like that is also fairly accurate. Um, what I'm going to make a case fairly soon. I don't know if it's perfect, but when you think about like BTC as a revolution, right, um, and it sort of being the bedrock of a network state as opposed to a political state, I feel like defense spending um, and like investing in a um, in an index of um, like defense contractors isn't a bad idea either, especially like in the early, early, I don't know, like, like forties and fifties when like the U S was going out and like defending its ideology abroad. I feel like that's kind of where we are with BTC. Right. And if you want to finance that machine, like buy war bonds or whatever, and if the U S grows and it's worth grabbing that territory and ensuring that, you know, Um, alternative ideologies don't thrive and your version of the world is the one that grows, then um, you know, those war bonds should be made whole. You should gain on those and BTC all the same. So you're giving up some upside, but if it works, then BTC will definitely accrue value.
0: I, I also think um, like going back to what TJ, what you were talking about at the very beginning in terms of the thread and the three state or the three like different areas it'll affect like that just that means that like the people who are going to come into the space are probably going to be pro- progressively smarter and like you know have they're not going to be looking to just full on DGen. so as like the space matures like they're going to be looking for different products that make sense to them and like bitcoin might resonate with a lot more people than like a solana nft you know and so i think that might be a uh that might be a way for it to or that might be like a counter narrative but it does see, i mean just among the four of us it does seem like we all despite like our this this discussion do feel like bitcoin is like one of the safer bets at this point
3: yeah i want to let's maybe let's try to come up with some bear cases the bear one bear case obviously is like crypto doesn't make it um so
2: i mean i don't really want to talk about that no it's not it's, <laughs> it's also it's it's, kind of, it's it's kind of like the equity guy who's like yeah, you know, you should be careful investing in equities because, you know, if Russia (laughs) drops a nuke, then it's nuclear warfare. It's like, well, bro, if (laughs) if it's nuclear warfare, then you don't care about your equity portfolio.
3: Yeah, so maybe let's just assume that you've hedged your assets responsibly outside of crypto. So we're just talking about what you're allocating to crypto, Um, if you are. And then I feel like in crypto, the bare case for Bitcoin would be that probably, like, people are more willing to hold stables than like crypto maxis want to admit. Right. And so like this, I like you basically will just do all your activity on chain, but then you'll still just, when you feel afraid, you just go back to like USDC because you want to be able to basically, uh, you think you can off ramp into real world, uh, currents or like the, like the normal USDC that you can pay for stuff with. Um, which I guess is really what does go on, right? Like a lot of people hold stables um, and they're willing to basically just pay the, the, the inflation tax so that they can pay for stuff in the real world, right? Um, and I feel like BTC's lack of like, like the people who are into BTC are so against interoperability that it makes it harder to hold it, you know? Um, so I do, I, I feel like that's maybe like, one of the worst things about it, but I don't, what do you I think? think?
2: There's, I think there's two bear cases for, well, I mean, I think that's valid. I think there's two bear cases that came to my mind uh, for BTC, uh, leaving out the, you know, crypto all fails. I think one is um, like a near-term flipping. I think a near-term flipping would be really ugly for BTC. I think the way that happens is if all of a sudden that, you know, institutions are coming narrative, it happens in 2022, And institutions come in with a very simple model and it's, I want to hold a blue chip crypto asset and I want it to be productive and I don't want to run a fucking mining rig. And so they buy ETH and they buy a lot of it and then it flippins early on and then BTC confidence disappears. And then those, um, lifetime holders who will self-professed never sell. They see the flippening and, um, and they sell. And I actually can't think of, Oh, the other one. um, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think about this, but I do worry as the um, the block subsidy tails off, if in its current state, how people use BTC, there's enough network activity to incentivize security. I think those are the two bear cases for me.
0: I uh, So on your first point, I was going to say something pretty similar. Like I think there is a risk where um, like another – um, asset basically in the, in the next few years is, has a better narrative in terms of like something like being environmentally friendly or something like that. Cause it'll take time for Bitcoin to be like much more environment for that narrative to pick up at least no matter how true the underlying facts are. And so if something like, you know, if ETH actually gets like control of this, like hard money narrative and they move to proof to say proof of stake and everyone's like, Oh, it's environmentally friendly, blah, blah, blah. Like I, that's one bear case. Um, I could see for Bitcoin more generally. Sorry, TJ. The second I had a thought on your second point, but as I was saying that, I now forget what the second point was again.
2: It was. It was just the uh, if if the subsidy tails off and there's not enough network oh, activity to incentivize security.
0: Yeah, that dude. I think that's a really interesting point and something that is pretty pushed off. Like I'm reading the block size wars right now, which also would recommend to everyone it's like an awesome like story narrative type book about what happened during the block size wars and like one of the opening kind of chapters talks about how that is like a really ignored fact um about bitcoin and it's definitely too early i think to like fud it based on that right like the network can still have huge growth and adoption and there can obviously be innovations but it is one of those things that like is i feel like kind of just like push to the side because there's so many other things that people are working on right now. I mean, I the lightning network is not something I've really dug into that much. And I'm I'm like curious, like, is 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 there additional functionality coming to Bitcoin? Because that seems to me like the bull case, right, is if you can keep the actual Bitcoin with its narrative and then have a lightning network or some sort of functionality network that's smart contract network built on top of it that is effective and allows other use cases.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point um, to the extent that. So so one of the criticisms of BTC, let's rewind for a second, as hard money is, you know, people are like, yeah, you know, gold, it abides by certain uh, physical constraints that make it scarce, right? It's dense, it's scarcely populated or scarcely distributed on the earth, blah, 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 blah. And BTC has those things, right? So it's constrained by energy and difficulty rises to lock in mathematical scarcity. So that's a direct comp. But one of the things people like to bring up is well, gold has this like really important, unique industrial use case, right? And technology or in whatever other ways. And BTC doesn't have that. And so, in theory, you know, this lack of network activity—that that issue could be solved if there were an industrial use case. And I don't exactly know how like the numbers work if if you know Lightning were built and Lightning enabled certain amount of transactions, like to what extent that would make up for the lack of subsidy, or if you know smart contracts were built on top of like a network upgrade and that you know kicked off some activity, to what extent that would make up for a subsidy. But um, t- to steal directly from Network State. Like Balaji talks about this idea that, you know, as we go forward um, and it's more and more difficult to triangulate the truth because, you know, the state and the media like to manipulate it and, and spin their own stories and deep fakes and all this good stuff, right? It's going to become more and more valuable to have cryptographic truth. And so theoretically, you can use a blockchain like Bitcoin, like you can transfer value, sure, but you can also, you know, Ledger information on chain. So, to the extent there was some sort of information that someone wanted to prove was in fact correct, timestamped and signed, like the BTC blockchain with all the value it secures could be sort of like a Fort Knox for data, right? And so, to the extent that that narrative took off, then maybe like the Bitcoin blockchain serves as this, um you know, industrial source of truth that only stores like the most valuable information in the world, which I thought was kind of interesting. I'm not sure if I buy it, but. Um, I think that would help to kind of alleviate the narrative around like BTC kind of just being, um, being, being frivolous and a, a store of value. And if it's store of value and not a money, then people aren't going to exchange it and people aren't exchanging. And then there's no network activity and you're back where you start.
3: I'm pretty confident Bitcoin will never be a medium of exchange. Um, because like Conviction. the main, I mean, just like a medium of exchange usually has a, Elastic supply and an increasing supply. And that's why like you need it literally like the characteristic you want is you want the supply to increase when people need it to spend it. Right. And Bitcoin literally is orthogonal to that. So in some ways, like the lightning thing is kind of dumb, right? Like they're trying to enable microtransactions. If anything, I feel like they should be trying to interoperate with like DeFi systems like Bitcoin. Maxi should try to make Bitcoin the de facto collateral on every borrow lens system even on other chains but they don't do that like it, it is still a collateral for a lot of things and on centralized exchanges still uses collateral but like ideally you would go on to like seoul and everyone would be using wrap btc as one of their collateral and they would just be loaning uscc to pay for stuff right um and it would just actually be digital gold it'd be this like the best collateral you could have but instead like they're not very keen on interoperability and they're trying to do lightning network like another reason you'll never use lightning network as long as you have to pay taxes why would you pay for things with bitcoin you're always going to borrow against your bitcoin and pay for stuff and then pay down your loan later to avoid taxes so it's kind of like i don't know i mean i could be missing something but that's my understanding of like of uh how kind of like
2: medium of exchanges work I think I think that's a, a great point um, and I'd never heard that, but it's the <laughs> like the tribalism that typically like tribalism is there to like grow a religion that makes everyone like really passionate about the thing, which typically helps you. Right. But in this case, if BTC Maxis are too tribal about BTC, that they refuse to acknowledge that Ethereum is valuable. And they don't want the BTC to be wrapped and used for what it should be used for, which is pristine collateral on the smart contract economy. I mean, you're, you're cucking yourself completely.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. It, like, well, this gets to the one of the other topics we wanted to talk about, right? Like stable coins. Like it, it I was thinking I was thinking while you were speaking, why doesn't Bitcoin have its own native like stable coin protocol that can plug into like the BTC network easily. And then I just realized like, well, you'd still then have to bridge it over to Ethereum or Solana or whatever to actually like use that stable coin for probably anything productive, you know? Um, but I am like, what do you like? It would make sense to me if there was a version of like maker on the Bitcoin network, you know, because then you could lock in your Bitcoin and use it as a medium of exchange. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you could uh, like, you can envision a,
2: um, a Bitcoin-native stablecoin coming about in one of two ways. You can either have a stablecoin on Bitcoin and wrap it, and it goes over to Ethereum, or you can have an Ethereum protocol that um, issues a stablecoin against BTC assets, right? And that's already kind of what Maker is, right? So to the extent that DAI is completely backed by BTC-based assets, that might as well be a BTC stablecoin, right? Because belief in that stablecoin is basically saying the monetary monetary authority that issues this thing has chosen collateral that I believe in. And if all that collateral is BTC-based, whether it's BTC itself, so we use wrapped BTC, it's a huge collateral type, or um, a BTC derivative, such as hash power-backed loans, you effectively have a stablecoin that, if it's widely used, people basically believe in whatever standard you're using in this case it's not the gold standard but the btc standard it's it's
0: it's a really interesting like it's a really interesting dilemma because of which i think is you know something i've been talking about a lot and a lot of people i think are talking about increasingly like people just aren't familiar with what the like what the um with what the thought leaders of the bitcoin community like their views on stuff right and just how important to them it is that bitcoin remains as like simple a product as possible and they still have a lot of sway over the protocol and it's probably you know it's probably partly a huge reason that btc has done so well is that there are like these diehard kind of ideologues who actually have a vision for Bitcoin and how it fits into the world as we know it today and are going to make sure that Bitcoin fits that vision. You know, there's not many products like that. No, no, they're not. Like, look at, look at, and and governance is such a difficult thing in crypto. And Bitcoin is probably one of the most complex systems to run a governance system. And yeah, there's been a lot of disputes and it's pretty contentious and there are issues. But so far it's held up pretty well. Um, and then it, it just makes me think about Maker, you know, TJ, because like Maker is also a really complex system, but there's a lot of different divergent views. And so governance has become extremely difficult. And so it, it <laughs> yeah. is interesting to think about it.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, which, yeah, which of those is more resilient in the long term? Something that has zero dynamism and complete consensus or something that has zero consensus but moves at a snail's pace. Yes. Um, one more thing I'll say about um, this idea of, of conviction in, in BTC. You do have these people that are just so ideologically aligned that crazy things realistically have to happen for them to sell. Um, I think another interesting kind of dynamic um, that pertains to that conviction holder is what's going on with miners right now. So as BTC gets more legitimate, right? You obviously have more people vying for earning it. So you know when BTC was at 60k, you can use that as kind of a, a proxy for um, for desire and demand and legitimacy. So I'm sure when it hit 60k, a whole bunch of people that would have not considered mining it or setting up rigs at 20k were like, "This is great." Let's go buy 9,000 miners immediately. Let's maybe take on some debt to do so, right? And so a whole bunch of people did that um, with crazy conviction in the in in the blockchain. And now we accelerate to today, you know, midway through 2022, and BTC is ticking at 22. So if your economics sort of worked at 60, they're definitely not working now, right? And so what you're kind of seeing, especially with energy, at least fossil fuel prices where they are, is, a lot of the economics of these guys is not working, right? And many of them have levered up. So many of them have debt service to pay. Um, and they're kind of getting to the stage where, you know, their run rate is pretty high and their runway is not that long. And unless BTC works at w- its way up above 30, 40, 50, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be in a scenario where they're forced sellers. Right. And so we talked about how the market kind of looks like it's been flushed out for now of, for sellers. You know, a lot of the retail leverage has kind of been flushed from the system, but there's definitely this wall and you can't really see behind it because not all the miners are public. But if those guys get jammed up, the only recourse they have, if they have to pay down these loans is to sell a whole lot of BTC or sell a whole lot of miners. And which of those two options is much quicker, like which has more liquidity, it's, it's the BTC And so, you know, I think when you think about who the incremental buyers and incremental sellers are, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market right now for the incremental buyer. But if things stay as they are with high energy prices and low BTC prices, there's not that much uncertainty around who the four sellers are.
0: Yeah.
3: When you do loans for BTC or when you're looking at the loans for miners, is it denominated in USD? As opposed to BTC? I guess, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's just, well, you wouldn't, they wouldn't want to be loaned BTC, right? So they would want to be loaned their, whatever their operating cost is. But then, yeah.
2: So interestingly, I haven't quite cracked the code. The vast majority do lend or do borrow denominated in dollars. Because yeah, they want their assets and their liabilities to match. But there is a market out there. It's not the rule, but it's definitely an exception of people that borrow in BTC.
3: Yeah, it seems like you would want to borrow whatever your operating expenses are. And then you'd actually want to get you'd want to pay whatever your revenue is. Right. Like, I guess, in the ideal world, because they're making BTC, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. And they would pay you back in BTC. But then if they have to pay for their energy and whatever their fiat is, then they'd want to borrow in that. But then I guess I don't know how they think about the exchange rate risk or whatever.
0: Um all right well as you can see Shake is a expert on this topic and has a lot to say about it. Um dude why don't we why don't we talk a little bit about um soul nfts. Um disclaimer Shake and I <laughs> Jake and I are coming off of like a two and a half hour space. So we are like spicy on soul NFTs right now. We've got a lot of a lot of energy, but we could just start it, I guess, by me plugging my own work. <laughs> I, I put a uh, I put a thread out um, earlier today. I used to write a lot of threads on soul NFTs and like what was happening in the market, but I stopped and um I just wanted to like see it's it's been really slow recently for those unaware and like users it feels like have died out crypto Twitter on Solana NFTs which is a huge part of the ecosystem has really slowed down there's not a lot of new people coming in if you look at like the broader just like there's a product called Solana Floor and they have like a blue chip NFT index and it's like really struggling um, and so the I would say like Solana NFT space right now is not in the best place as with most nft spaces right now um but uh there there is one positive development and I think shake you can really speak about this which is what we're seeing happen in salon nfts right now is like this huge infrastructure build out that's going on um and when I say huge I'm exaggerating greatly but um there's a lot of cool infrastructure projects being built And this past week. We saw this project, Blocksmith Labs, which um, is like kind of viewed as one of the best like devs and engineering teams in the ecosystem. Um, They built this whitelist tool. They they released a Solana NFT launchpad and the tweet from it was just awesome because the launchpad they built using four other protocols. And so. For me, it was a really interesting like example. We always talk about composability in, in, in uh, crypto and like how that's a huge value proposition. And this was like one of the real concrete examples I haven't seen in a while where four different pro- or five total protocols came together and were able to plug into each other to create this really cool, customizable launchpad. And so, um, you know, Shake, I'm curious. I mean, as everyone knows, he runs Cyber Samurai. They've also built out a lot of infrastructure for cyber samurai holders specifically in terms of they have a tool called Dojo DB, they have staking and things like that. I'm just curious, kind of, you know, how do you see this infrastructure? And also, like, why are you taking the approach you're taking, where, you know, you're you're basically trying to become an infrastructure provider in some sense, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So, what was your question? How, how do I, just how what I think about the infrastructure advancements basically? Um, yeah, or, yeah, or just just talk about Solana NFT. <laughs> Don't get me started, dude. Uh, no, I, I think it's um it's really exciting. Like we, um, I know we talked about this maybe last week or the week before, but I just think there's more actual innovation going on now than ever, than there ever has been in, in NFTs um, because um, you have to, well, again, that was the tweet we were talking about, right, Chris, is like, developers and entrepreneurs are like incentivized to build something that that, that has kind of a longer term outlook. Um, that's more sustainable. Whereas previously, like they're incentivized to basically just launch a bunch of projects and like, you know, raise money quickly um, and retire. So <clears throat> yeah, I think that's this cool side effect of the bear market is just that more actual innovations happening. And I think it's it's really dope. Basically. Yeah. And here's the tweet. this so they have Strata Protocol, Cardinal Labs, Matrica, and Node Monkey that they all used. Um, I didn't even know actually that you could use like I because a lot of this stuff isn't open source. Cardinal Labs is, but I don't think Matrica is open source. Um, I don't know if Strata is too, but it's uh it's definitely cool. Yes. It is okay. Yes, Strata is, yeah. Um, um what i mean what that was actually a think, topic right? i thought i wanted to bring up was the open source stuff if, if what that's can cool can, right
2: can you can you explain to those of us who have no idea what we're looking at what <laughs> dynamic pricing freeze authority and discord integration are yeah you so, don't to, you don't you thankfully don't have to explain the fourth one I have some idea what that is
1: <laughs> that's actually the one that other people probably wouldn't know but um Dynamic pricing basically means that while the mint was happening, like the the, the, pro, the first project they did, which was called uh, Fruits, um, it, it, the mint price was two point seven five sole. and and then during the public mint, it 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 started reducing in price um, until enough people started minting, and it had some algorithm where like, you know, once people started stepping in and trying to mint, then the the price went back up. So as yeah, the price was it it just. Uh, somewhat like a Dutch auction except it also went back up whereas a Dutch auction just goes down in price um which I think is cool you know it gets the team more more money like a a little bit so it's cool on the team side freeze Authority was something that I think is actually kind of whack but the nft during the mint you couldn't move the nft at all so you couldn't sell it you couldn't trade them like uh I was actually trying to send it out of my minting wallet to my main wallet like I couldn't even send it so uh Chris would know more about how that works on a technical level but basically you freeze you can't move the the uh, nft discord integration was that you went on the website and you just logged in with discord and then it acknowledged that if, if you had a whitelist so usually it's like this whole fucking terrible process around figuring out who has whitelists and then giving them the list of wallets and are you doing it wallet based or token based and there's all these like variables into the the whitelisting process um and this one was just simple it was just it was so it was honestly so nice for me because i always forget to submit my wallet so um yeah that's basically the
2: rundown yeah the dynamic pricing that i mean that's sick i mean you, you, you you i mean you you basically taken a a process which is you know guess based on this uh, size mint what the right price is and if it works, great, but it hasn't worked as well as if you had dynamically priced it and if it doesn't work, then you're screwed. It's kind of like um, like y- y- you could see this dynamic pricing model like being used in a whole bunch of different markets. Like even think about like when a, when a company goes public, right? They hire an investment bank and the investment bank is supposed to go out of the, out into the market, talk to some people and decide what the price should be, right? And then they launch it on IPO day and it moves around and sometimes it has a big pop which means they underpriced it which means the founders the team left a whole bunch of money on the table and sometimes they overprice it and when they overprice it it doesn't pop on day one that's a really bad look for the project or the company right if you built a mechanism that allowed for dynamic pricing for like for price discovery to happen on the move like that's sweet of course see you know people say there's no innovation in nfts no I I
1: yeah that's really interesting right I didn't even think about that like if like a smart if you could if this was open source and like completely on chain which I don't it might not be well no you said strata is but if you could basically leave that up to like a smart contract with like predetermined um you know limitations to to have price discovery pre-ipo like that's actually a really interesting um potential use case because when I learned about that how they do that I was really surprised I was like that's it like they just have a guy go around and, like, try to figure out, like, hey, what are you guys going to pay for this? All right, like, you know. Insanity. Yeah, it's, like, super casual.
2: (laughs) I mean, you could could even argue if you use this dynamic pricing for the investment banking model, um, like, the biggest alpha there is not that, like, you've more accurately homed in on pricing discovery. It's that you avoid the enormous fee you're paying to Goldman.
0: I mean... Chris, what do you, I mean, Chris, what do you think, dude? Like you're, you're a builder in Solana. Like this is pretty sick, right?
3: Yeah, it's cool. Uh, The dude who built Strata protocol, Strata protocol seems like a G. Follow him on Twitter. Top G. Top G. I'm a bull, but I don't mint NFTs, So I've never used it. So I don't really know what's good. But yeah, I mean, the whole point of crypto is to reduce rent extraction by intermediaries. So to the extent that you can have these auction mechanisms encoded on chain is pretty cool. Um, we're also have a form of Dutch auction in uh, drift v too. So I'm pretty hyped on who would I honestly like never would have thought auction mechanisms are so interesting. But now that I'm like working in crypto and thinking about market structure, they're actually pretty fascinating. So uh, I'm bullish Dutch auctions.
1: Wait, you guys are gonna have a Dutch auction in, in for what? scenarios
3: basically instead of having like the typical we're like inverting how
1: takers and makers
3: cooperate so usually makers have their liquidity sitting on the book and then takers come and like take the liquidity uh off of it instead first we have takers place their orders and then makers can come in and provide just in time liquidity and basically fulfill the taker orders and then that the, the price of what the maker can make at is based on a Dutch auction, and then if the uh, if no maker comes and fulfills the taker, then we route it to a different like a an underlying market. So for perps, that'll be the virtual AMM, and for uh, spot, we'll probably route t- through Serum. So basically, it's like good for makers because they won't get arbed as much. Um, and they can like see what the taker wants first and decide if they want to like actually take the other side of the trade. Jesus, dude. Jesus.
2: drift drift V two with the Dutch auction and spot. I feel like the VCs are about to enter the chat. <laughs> yeah, dude. Drift, drift V two is about Jesus. to be very late.
3: Jesus,
1: can I get in a two k allocation here?
2: What's
3: good? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um. Dude, dude, Shake Shake literally will just be messaging me on the weekend like, Yo, can you send me some code you wrote a year ago? I'm gonna try to make a product out of it. <laughs> I'm like yeah, I'm forking, I'm like better, I'm forking crisp. Like, you better like give me some kick. I was joking, I was like, Can I get a kickback? He's like, I'll airdrop you an NFT. I was kidding,
1: bro. I don't know if that was clear, <laughs> so, but I was <laughs> saying, like some
3: some shit NFT. He's gonna make yeah, millions. Yeah, I was like, I was like, Yeah, bro, of course I'll airdrop you an NFT.
1: Um, <laughs> no, but dude, uh I mean, no, but the auction mechanisms are really interesting so okay let me just repeat it back to you so i understand correctly because I, I feel like it might have gone over my head so the takers like put this order into the into the protocol mm-hmm. but it's just like a market like they're like it's just a market order it doesn't have price specification it's just like i want it just has size specification
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: like within like a millisecond or something the makers are able to like look at these and decide okay i'm going to fill him and again the 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 maker doesn't specify price but it's like a dutch auction mechan- mechanism that's that's determining the price between like how many makers and takers there are is that right uh kind of it's like so the taker will
3: specify size and then based on the size you programmatically determine the price which is based on like an approximate of slippage so like you know like oh if you want to buy like a shit ton of sole, you're going to have a lot of Price impact if you just hit the market. So then, like the end of the auction price is an approximate of what you would get if you just sent the market order. And then, like over like five seconds, basically makers can come in and fulfill it at a better price. But it it still like uses a uh, limit order system. So like the maker can say like, I'll only fill you at a hundred dollars. And if like if the taker if the auction is going up from like ninety five to hundred five. The maker will only do it at like hundred dollars if the take if the Dutch auction is at like a hundred and one dollars for the taker, so like the maker can still satisfy, like basically specify their prices that they'll trade at, but the taker's price becomes a function of time in the Dutch auction. So like, I guess I tweeted this before like a Dutch shock like a Dutch order is just a limit order with like a floating price that changes
1: over time dude this is fucking really cool um what was the reasoning behind because i mean this seems like it has maybe some inspiration from uni's like concentrated liquidity thing on the maker side but then nf the only place another place i've seen dutch auctions in crypto is literally nfts so it's kind of interesting you're using dutch auctions like so yeah what, what was the motivation for like coming up with this whole new way that orders get matched
3: yeah so i guess the uh the motivation is to provide more liquidity on chain. And what how it kind of works in practice is it's very hard for makers to provide liquidity on chain, whether it's just like LPing and like a like a AMM or like actually making on Serum, because there's actually just like asymmetric relationship between makers and arbitragers, where makers need to like basically have their order sitting on a book on chain and it's really hard to update their quotes. And then there's just just like fleet of arbitragers and MEV bots and all these goblins who are just trying to rip you off, and only one person needs to succeed out of the whole fleet. So maker is really up against like a whole army of people that are trying to arb them. So it's very hard to be a maker. Um, and then so, but makers are the ones that provide liquidity. So out of that, you have to think, okay, well, um, how can I make it easier for people to like profitably be a maker on chain? And then uh that's how we got to like this idea that okay well the taker a taker of someone who just comes to a site or just wants to trade and just wants to get in on like a certain position isn't like really trying to arb they're hoping that soul goes up 10 percent or down 10 percent. they're not like you know like a high frequency trader so they'll just say like i want to take here and then like you just want to let the maker come in and they know that this taker is an adversarial and then they'll pair up so it's this idea of realizing that it's like it's okay for the taker to Or we're trying to let the taker go first and then make the protocol such that the taker can't be taken advantage of by the maker but then the maker also can't be taken advantage of by the arbitragers so i guess there's like a few constraints there this is mostly
1: yeah makers getting fucked it's kind of like some game theory now i never realized that of like why would you be an lp versus arb like an mbv guy if you have the capability of doing both like why would you I guess there's part of it is like size, I'm guessing, but
3: mm. right. yeah. So like in a traditional like high frequency setting, I think the makers extract most of the value, but um, it's one because like makers and takers are like, uh, I guess, like they're they're kind of like they're more symmetric, right? Like a taker, if you send a trade through, and it it like moves after you send the trade through, you can't just like revert it, right? Where on on chain people will literally like do a trade at the very end of the trade have a instruction that checks if they made money and revert it, and on a, in a on a system like Soul you can just revert the. It's, it's so like, unfair. It's so cheap, right? Exactly. So it's just it's like, like
1: flash loan things where it's like, <laughs> you always read about it. This guy made a million dollars when then paid back the loan in one transaction. It's like, bro, why? why is he allowed to do that? That's like, yeah, that's, that's blockchain. It's like. Well, that's actually
3: another interesting thing is like composability on chain is actually like it's it can work orthogonal to security, right? Like you can do all these things so fast in one transaction that you can just fuck so many things up. And so it's actually good to make it harder to compose with you atomically because it protects um, can be security. Like, it can boost security. For example, like Audius, someone passed a DAO proposal and moved the money in the same transaction, paid back alone. where really you want to be like, okay, you pass a DAO proposal and now there's a cool-down period for a day, you know? Like, yeah. it's, it's kind of screwed, but then you start realizing why traditional systems have certain cool-down periods, certain throttles, etc., because, like, that means that, like, if you made a million dollars on FTX because of a hack and you could only withdraw 10K or whatever, or even if you made like a, they could, they have your KYC if it's less than, or more than 10K, if and it's less than 10K, they're like, whatever, you can only get off with 10K at one time, you know. Um, so this just like instant composability is just a nightmare for security. <laughs>
0: Dude, I can already see the uh, like the counter narrative against composability starting to form, and the governance stuff with the composability is so cool. Yeah, like yeah, like Shake's putting up right here, like the audience hack. Like this is this actually happened to Maker also in like 2018 or something, where if you do a flash loan and there's enough outstanding governance tokens, you can immediately force through a proposal and benefit from that and um if you don't that's why like crisp was saying like time locks are such an important feature but then they raise the question of like who can overturn the time lock oh my my dinner's here who can overturn the uh time lock and um as a result you have like some sort of centralization of power that might be able to turn o- turn over the time lock actually maker has a really interesting defense mechanism it requires you to burn your maker in a security module but um I, I think that's crazy. Crisp is the, is, is the way that you've set it up only possible on chain, like doing it on a blockchain or is this possible and done in traditional finance as well?
3: Um, so actually like what we're doing is kind of similar to what's called payment for order flow, um, okay. where like <laughs> in Robin hood, for example, a user submits a trade and then that trade gets like people, makers literally pay to fill the taker orders. Right. Cause they're like, I want this juicy trade so bad that I'm willing to pay to fill it. Um, and so a lot of, and that's how Robin hood gets like uh, you know, zero fees. Cause they're actually getting paid by makers like Citadel to fill your orders. Um, Got you. So this is a very, it's like, it's like, I guess there's parallels to it. Um, in in the, like, honestly, a lot of these things, it's also similar to it's called like a, ref, a request for quote system where someone's like, I want to buy something and then people will all put in like makers will put in their quotes for it. Um, I think honestly, I think the reason you don't see this in crypto as much is it's just harder to build. Like an AMM honestly is so simple to build relative to like what we're building now. And even an order book is relatively simpler to build. So it's kind of like once someone clears one milestone, one primitive, it's like, okay, everyone knows how to build it now. And now we can build more advanced stuff, right? Um, and to think, and and then some people like make fun of like crypto, like, oh, you're using like an AMM. Well, first it was hard to build and then Uniswap cleared it and now everyone knows how to build an AMM. And then it was hard to build an order book and then Serum did it. And now it's like, okay, well, any good dev can build an order book. And then it's just like you keep – it's like a red – it's a red queen's race really. It's like exhausting We're just like one person figures something out and then everyone just starts copying you. (laughs) Um,
1: Dude, so I actually wanted to ask you about that specifically. Like that was one of the topics I forgot to tell you guys was open source stuff. Like so you as – well, let's just say DeFi protocols, like how how do they think about – keeping users because <clears throat> from, you know, from just going to the thing that is newer and has more incentives and uh lower market cap, like if, if you do this really cool, um, thing that you're talking about, like, and someone, and it's, and it's open source or yeah. Are, are you going to open source it? And then when you do like, how do you, how do you set things in place to, to try to keep users on your platform and not a fork?
3: Yeah. I do think the more novel your protocol is, there's a period where it's not forked and it's hard for other people to understand. And even now the, like it takes someone like, no, not anyone could fork serum, right? Like, and even if you could fork serum. So part of it is there's honestly not that many good devs that can really fork things. So it's like a small set and there's like a, there's a prestige culture, right? Like if I just forked mango, then I'd have to live in the ignominy of forking mango and everyone knowing that on Twitter. So there's like the people who are smart enough to fork it. A lot of them don't. And then there's also like integrations in off chain. Like there's, there's certain, I guess I'm not, they're not, I'll just call them integrations. Right. So like if you fork serum, you're not going to have basically jump in Alameda making on you. So no one's going to use your thing. And similarly, a lot of, the successful protocols have a bunch of integrations off chain that then greatly increase their value. Um, like even are, like those maker, things like they contract?
1: have, like, are those, like, do you know, like for serum, let's say, do they have a contract where like, Hey, like Alameda, you guys can't go market make on shitcoin coin serum fork. Uh
3: No, like I, I, I don't think there's any contract. It's just a matter
1: of like network effects of like,
3: yeah, it's like people sign up, they they do the time like you're first, they take the time to get set up on your system, they know it works, it keeps working, they understand it. Like there's only so many market making firms, they only have so much time and so many resources and like understanding the novelties of each system is really hard. So it's like once they got something working, like they're gonna stick there, right? Um, so like there's just a natural stickiness to integrations. Um where more, honestly, the people who are j- like, there's, I mean, people, definitely market makers will just find if there's liquidity incentives, they'll go and just like, you know, pimp them out and farm them. Um, but for the most part, like good integrations are pretty sticky. I think the best, uh, the uh, the best protocols end up with a lot of integrations that give its value. Uh, that give it more value. Like maker. Right. Well, well, someone could just fork Maker, but then like, who's using Dai as a part of their like DeFi system? Everyone's already using Dai, right? So it's like very hard to fork things. So it's kind of like the source code isn't even like your advantage, I guess. Right. So And yeah. and you need it to be open source so that people like that's how you start bootstrapping trust. Like if it's just not open source and it's like a little money box. <laughs> like why is people gonna trust celsius <laughs> yeah exactly so um dude that's
0: that's super interesting bro um, yeah i never thought about it that way crisp in terms of like making your code open source is actually an advantage which is a uh, kind of like the opposite i would have looked at it but i have heard a lot about or i haven't heard a lot but like who's the dragonfly guy has or whatever um like he's talked a lot about how like ethereum is basically unforkable at this stage because of like the DeFi protocols that are built on top of it. And you know, like users are just gonna stay with those DeFi protocols because they've got so much value locked into them. And so it makes it very difficult to kind of like hard fork the chain. Um, which is an interesting that,
1: I mean, didn't that happen with Binance
0: Smart Chain? Like it already happened and it got a bunch of users. What happened with Binance Smart Chain? Yeah, like Binance Smart Chain's
1: basically a fork of ethereum
0: oh yeah no no for sure but they can pick up new users but it's not like you oh, know like ethereum gonna, you know like people who are using ethereum are going to stay on ethereum they're not going to flip ethereum like but even Binance
3: you. was able to do that because they got integrations with like everyone's already holding their stuff into Binance, Point, you can just That's move true. it over there it's like
1: i mean ftx like ftx us having solana integration super early like was a huge plus for Solana right and then Coinbase had it like shortly after right um so yeah. people could just people could buy soul and use it on chain like very quickly the FTX soul integration is just like huge boon for soul right dude can we talk about the some of these new chains actually Aptos I don't know shit about it but I uh, I kind of want to sh- flood them a little bit because um I'm so <laughs> invested on Solana so you every guys, you guys have every good flood on the Aptos. They're everyone who was new to
3: Solana last year and they're just riding the, the the ascending blockchain, and now they're like, "Wait, you can't do it to me." Yeah, like, they I'm like, "Wait, wait a second this
1: this is not going to work." I actually heard Joe McCann to give a really convincing case of why he does it like he didn't. It wasn't that he thinks it's not going to work. He just said he doesn't think it's a good investment from like a trader investor perspective. He basically was saying look everybody like the the trade of this cycle was l1 trade and the way markets work is like when a trade is so prevalent it doesn't work again like because it's a crowded trade and so he was was like look at the uh current valuation of of aptos it's one billion dollars it might even be two billion bro it's like insane valuation it literally doesn't it's literally not on mainnet it has no it has zero users and it has like a billion dollar it's a unicorn uh l1 And so basically he was saying it might work it might become better than solana but he's like uh, from an investor standpoint he yeah he made a really convincing case basically like he thinks he's trying to look where other people aren't looking for value um
2: reminds me of layers reminds me of layer zero honestly
1: we should we should get joe on the pod
2: maybe once you
3: get more than 100 followers (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to tell someone to come into a pod with 56 followers yeah, bro.
1: Well, no, we have more on uh, on Apple and some people listen on like Apple and Spotify and stuff. All right, one day Joe will be on here. But the optics of YouTube are kind of like, you know,
2: Joe. Joe, come for the vibes,
3: lad. <laughs> I think okay. Here's my case against Aptos and the other one, whatever. Um, basically, people are hyping it up that like all the devs are gonna go there because it's like a safer language, and then all the users will follow follow it. But in my opinion, like just knowing the very little that I do about the language is not enough of a big enough upgrade to think like you can build something way better on those chains than you can on Sol, right? Like there's some cool language features that maybe might make things a little bit nicer, but I don't think they're like big enough that it's like it's going to captivate a wave of builders to go over there. Whereas like part of the reason people started on Sol was because they thought the throughput and the low latency was like really powerful. And they had some like magical experiences when they built on it. Like when I first built on DevNet, I was like, oh, man, this is like after coming from Ethereum, it felt like there could be a way better UX. And so they were like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to chew all this glass because I can build this thing that seems more magical. But like now Sol is a lot easier to build on. And there's, it has FTX integration. So a lot of these things going for it. To go to a new chain and to build that out all over again, I think it needs to have a similar like stepwise or it needs to be like way off in the like the fitness landscape to warrant someone new going there. If it's like, okay, it's soul, but it's just like a little bit different. Like, why don't you just build on soul, right? So it's like soul went, and that's also why like a lot of the EVM chains that are really close, like I guess that's the argument for like ETH. If you're an EVM chain, it's like if you're just marginally changing things, why isn't ETH going to win? So I think any new chain has to make a compelling step in the fitness landscape in order for people to have enough conviction to go build over there.
2: I mean, it has to. If it's not not a stepwise upgrade, then you're going to have difficulty competing with an existing network effect. Like Look, at when Sol popped off, ETH was preposterously expensive. No one could transact on it. I feel like the stepwise function here would be if Aptos somehow found a way to convince people that it would run slightly faster than soul but with zero downtime and then it actually executed on that like over a course of six months i mean that could be big
3: yeah like right now people are literally like it's using this language move which makes one form of exploit harder to write you know it's like
1: it's such a me dude
3: and this exploit is like an easy exploit not to write
1: you know like, dude, I, also, does anyone I, love the blood bro i love the bear case on aptos because i don't want to have to learn a new thing bro <laughs> I'm comfy. I, I don't want to have to go cross chain again, bro. I just want Solana to make it, and I get rid. That's that's you know? how that's how, ev- how everyone is thinking. You
3: know, that's yeah. the clip. That's the clip for it, this week's video. I don't exactly. want to learn something new. That's I don't want to learn bro. about
1: Aptos. I'll get so, everyone to watch the pod. <laughs> so what I I also feel like you know at some point like we can't keep having like okay like it's good to try to innovate obviously and there's capital that's willing to bet on it. But like at some point, like I'm not saying this is now, but at some point, like it, it just it's it's apps, right? It's at some point it's like that's where the innovation focus is. I mean, we're not trying to build a new internet every day, right? Like I'm sure in in 1998, like people were, you know, trying to build like oh this new internet protocol, right? There was probably like ten of them, and people were funding it a bunch. But then it's like oh it's uh, whatever TCP and, and IP, right? So um, yeah, Dude, you're just a soul maxi. This is cope. I have kind dude. of a soul You sound like you...
3: Kobe. You sound like Kobe when he was mad that people not holding ETH were getting. Bro, She's like early this... as a service, blah blah blah. It's like, you know, you're just mad that
1: there's a new, there's a new run-up. Yeah. I mean, I am. I am. <laughs> yeah. percent I am. Like, Shake, like remember, like, dude. When like you one cared, year but... ago, I was this crappy guy, like, I'm gonna bridge everywhere and try everything. Now I'm like, bro, God, I have a company on Solana. Like, fuck. Come on. <laughs> what am I gonna, you know? Come on, guys.
0: <laughs> Let's <laughs> chill with
1: it. But yeah, that's a that's the thing. Kobe's thing I'm thinking of too, right? Is like there's this game of like, you know, the investors and that's an L1, and then the L1 tr- incentivizes developers, and the developers incentivize being early, and then like whoever comes after that is just like getting fucked, you know, like really hard by everybody else dumping on them. And I'm like that ha- that it seems like <laughs> that like that definitely can't go on forever. It might go on for another cycle though, like just with how this shit works. Like I, I could easily see it going for another five years, but. Um, salon is gonna make it. It's gonna be the number one blockchain. Quick upgrade. We got fucking local fees and shit. You know, come on. Um, I think are we are we gonna end it here? We don't want your girlfriend
0: to get mad at you, Lucas. It's my it's my girlfriend's one year in the U.S. So I'm, we're having a celebratory dinner. Um, what you guys get? Chinese food. French French fries. Does she regret <laughs> coming here
3: after the fact that like the. The dollar is slowly debasing itself, and soon we won't be a world power anymore. And she picked the wrong country. I don't, we haven't had Dude, this. This is why you never get laid,
0: bro. If you're yeah, yeah, like we That's
3: haven't really broached that went. topic,
0: but uh, I'll, yeah, I'll be just, sure to cover it in dinner one year in how do you feel about the dollar being debased and the u.s downfall you
1: know it's funny bro shaney like always tells me like dude you talk way too much about the economy you know because i'm like i'm like isn't it so crazy that like inflation is over 10 you know and i'm telling her i'm like imagine that 10 years your money's literally worthless you know I'm like, and I, and I like think it's interesting when she's like god you're just fucking fudding me so hard it's not good romance romance uh, talk i
0: guess is uh because I've tried it. And I've tried Dude, it. You know? What I've learned is
2: girls just want to have fun and not talk about crypto.
0: <laughs> nope, nobody wants, not just girls, nobody wants to talk about crypto. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except for us. And that's why we do this podcast, baby. Dang yeah. shit. I th- I think uh, I think if I've learned one thing from this podcast, it's definitely that makers take from takers and takers take from makers, and then there's makers and there's takers. There's probably like ten and then minutes. There's bakers, bro. And <laughs> we <laughs> ain't them. That's all I know. You know? Dude, there's, there's also a- there's there's also
2: there's also bakers on Tezos, whatever that is.
0: Oh, dude, there are bakos that- and bakers. And there's
1: pancakers, pancake swap by a smart chain. That's right. Yes, I started. And there's the and
3: LA there's
0: Lakers.
1: The and there's the Sound, la- <laughs> shit, bro. And there's OX shakers. Sounds like we've got a good. Movers sounds like we've got a shakers, good... baby. We got a, like a, a, like a shaker. I'm always a shaker.
0: My boy <laughs> Anna Madine, yeah. shout out my boy Anna Madine in the audience, bro. Good to see you, my man. Yeah, I yeah. Hey, appreciate your energy, bro. Um, all right, all right. Yeah. Good let's, episode. Let's
3: wrap it up. This is this fun. One's,
0: this one's gonna get a lot of hits. I can tell.
3: Let's actually show this one on Twitter this week. I feel like we forgot last week. Yeah. We got to get to 100 followers so that we can uh, start getting guests on.
0: Yeah. Dude, we can get some guests on.